guys, and welcome to the Bodybuilding Dietitians podcast. Thank you so much for joining us today for what is now episode 165. And as always, you are joined by your hosts, Tiara and Jack. Now today we do have a Q&A episode lined up for you, and we got a bunch of great listener questions come through over on Instagram land. But Jack, I'm going to be a little bit selfish today, and I'm going to jump to the head of the queue, and I'm going to throw a question over to you. That didn't intentionally rhyme, but hey, (laughs) we're going to roll with it. My question for you, Jack, is when you are doing dumbbell shoulder press, when you do that initial push-up, do you count that as a rep? And are you being spotted for that rep? No, you are doing it 100% solo. It's all you. Yeah, so I, I think there are two methods from what I've seen to do this, where either... I know me and you both, we basically use some momentum and use our legs to get them into a starting position around ear level, and then we push up. So I would personally count that as a rep, because if anything, it's the hardest rep of Mm. them all, because it's the, the most amount of range of motion you could possibly do. Yeah, I would totally agree. You're starting from the most compromised position strength wise. So even actually being able to push up initially. I would argue that means that like that should technically be what the strongest rep or at least close to your very final rep of the set. Mm. Yeah, I'd agree. I think often that initial push for me is the hardest rep until the final rep. Mm. And usually the, the two, three, four or five that follow that first one are going to be a little easier and then it'll get harder again. But I've seen other people who they'll kind of rock back and then they'll push the dumbbells up all in one go which and then they'll pause there in that starting position with the dumbbells above their head but i often think unless you have a spotter that's not the best way of doing it because once you get to a certain load it's very very difficult to do that in one motion yeah and that's why i think many people feel like they need a spotter for that initial first rep for the dumbbell shoulder press when in reality they can they can probably do it themselves yeah i totally agree i think you and i both start with them like on our thighs we do that initial little kick up and then it's like okay let's go and then once they're finally overhead initially yeah absolutely you'd count that because it's freaking tough but then once they're finally overhead it's like sweet it's go time i can go now but uh, yeah if you're using a load that like if you're dumbbell shoulder pressing like the five kilograms or something one you probably don't need a kick up for that unless you're like a small child and i don't know how many children are listening to the tbd podcast right now but heck you know get into the gym early there's a hell of a lot of benefits or like if it is very light and you can just kind of heave it up initially doesn't really count as a rep and you're probably looking at actually doing like a 20 plus rep set if you're using a weight that light. But the reason why I'm asking this question is because I was doing dumbbell shoulder press earlier this week, and I'm now finally strong enough to not just lift the twenties for reps, but I can now finally push them up over my head initially by myself, which a number of weeks ago, I was having to get you to spot me to really push up my elbows. And then once they were up, it was just all mine, but I wouldn't have counted that rep per Mm. se, but I put up a poll on my Instagram saying, Hey, do you guys count the first rep in a shoulder press when you do the push up? And it was almost 50 50. We had about 47% of people say yes, and then 53% of people said no. And there was like nearing 200 people that voted on this poll. And I had a look briefly like, okay, well, is it male or female dominated? 
and no, it looked pretty 50-50 between genders. So some people are under the impression that it counts. Some people are under the impression that it doesn't count. <laughs> Ultimately, it doesn't really matter though, does it? I think it just matters that you stay consistent in what approach you use. Yeah, but I guess some people could pose the argument that like, no, you have to go through the concentric and the eccentric phase to count a full rep. But then when you think about it, at the very end of your set, you have to go through the eccentric phase. Those, those dumbbells have to come back down. So it's always gonna be one for one by the time the whole mm. set is done, unless you're holding those dumbbells overhead and like someone takes them away from you or something. But or you drop them. Yeah, but I would argue, yeah, it should totally count because it's the concentric part that is the toughest part of the movement. Like if you can't handle a load in the eccentric component of that lift, you have no business holding that weight. Like if you, if you can't bring a, a weight back down to your shoulder from up overhead and it just like falls, either you've significantly hit failure, or your muscles have spasmed out, or yeah, I don't know what you're doing in the gym, man. <laughs> mm. I've never seen that myself personally. I think there's some methods for it. Like, you know, for example, in bench press, like exposing yourself to a new weight because like obviously you can no i've never seen anyone not handle a eccentric face <laughs> just like flies out from the side <laughs> but yeah some people do like expose themselves to new weight like if you were doing a bench press and you're like i just want to get a feel for what it's like to have this weight in my hands like you could then control it down to your chest and then have a spotter help you with it on the way back up but mm. yeah I, I would count those reps I would too, yeah. All right. Well, it counts then. We are part of the 47% that did say yes. Mm. <laughs> All right, Jack, we've got another question here. It says, how do you respond to someone if they question whether or not you are natural? Well, it's never really happened to me before on, in an in-person. I think someone has just, just genuinely with good intentions asked me if a certain transformation i posted was done naturally mm -hmm. and i said yes it was done naturally but they didn't question my natty status mm -hmm. so yeah it's uh it's a question i've honestly never been asked before by anyone in terms of like how do you respond to it but i would just say take it as a compliment that people are potentially inferring that you aren't natural and just politely say i'm natural <laughs> I totally agree. I think that some people, they just get so unnecessarily worked up and offended. Like That's weird though, because if anything, it should be the other way around where if you aren't natural yeah. and then someone saying you are natural, that's more <laughs> of a criticism. Oh gosh, I've never thought about it like that. You know, like a, an Olympian bodybuilder or something like that. Someone's like, there's no way you're enhanced. Mm. It's like, dude. <laughs> but yeah, some people, they just get... They get so offended just unnecessarily, you know, like someone might ask them like, I think they get more offended by the, the aspect that they are preaching that they are natural. And then people are saying that you aren't natural. Yeah. That's a different scenario. I can understand people being frustrated by that, but yeah, not, not a sort of innocent, genuine question of, Hey, are you natural or not? Yeah. But if Cause so like it's, it's one's like an accusation. One's just a question. Yeah. But even when people do get asked the question, they're like, oh, are you enhanced or what's your cycle or what do you take? They're like, oh, how dare you question me? Why don't you think I could achieve this naturally? And 
yeah, really, it is a compliment. And <laughs> clearly mm. you and I haven't made it yet because it's only just recently people ask me in the gym if I compete. <laughs> <laughs> And I'm like, oh, shucks. Well, as a matter of fact, I do have, you know, some plans for 2024. But, like, I've never, I'm still waiting for... I'm yet for... to be asked that question, even. <laughs> That's not true, man. It is true. <laughs> People... <laughs> I'm just very unapproachable in the gym. That's why. But I think you and I are both still waiting for the day where someone genuinely does question our status. Uh, that That's going to mean that we've just made it, man. You know, it's, it's a huge compliment to say that like people, people genuinely look at you and they're like, wow, you look like you are on that level that most people who, you know, they try to take shortcuts per se, or, you know, just speed up the process. You look like you're on that level already. Like that's a massive compliment to your physique. So just say thanks, but no, actually just good old diet and training and a little bit of creatine here, there. Mm. Yeah, it's almost like a female, you know, having like a really nice set of boobs. <laughs> and a girl might come up to her and be like, hey, like, you know, like, do you have implants? Or who was your surgeon? Or like, when did you get your breasts done? And they're like, oh, how dare you question my tits? <laughs> <laughs> but like, seriously, it's a compliment. Like, if you look, if you're walking around like petite as hell, but you have like these really That's nice double D's. Right? And they a, didn't work for them, did they, though? <laughs> they, you it's are, genetics. Yeah, you're genetically gifted. And like you you just have to take that as a compliment and be like, no. I think your ass implants would be, glute implants would be a better analogy because mm. you have to work for your glutes. Yes, that is true. Not anything against tits, but like <laughs> they are kind we're, of... We're here for both, baby. <laughs> tits and ass. <laughs> oh, gosh. What's this podcast turning into? But again, it, it is really just a compliment because it is... It is what's somewhat abnormal if you've got a tiny little waist and a petite little frame but you do have like rock and double d's like obviously someone's going to question that similar to if if you just are walking around with like these really bubbly muscle bellies in the gym someone might question you like hey you know like what do you take yeah so i would just, just the creatine just the creatines you know but yeah just absolutely take it as a compliment or what but here okay here's a question if you are enhanced and someone asks you, what's your cycle? What do you take? Are you enhanced? Are you natural? How do you answer that? Well, I'm the wrong person to ask. <laughs> Depends if I was openly disclosing it or not. Or if I was, I think it's obviously incorrect to preach that you are natural or mm. still claim that you are. And it's up to the individual if they want to disclose it further than that. Like mm. if, yeah, we all know there are certain people on Instagram preaching that they're natty when they quite obviously aren't. Mm. But yeah, it's another thing to then openly disclose. Because like a lot of the Olympians, for example, they they don't openly disclose that they are on PEDs. Mm -hmm. I assume because of like sponsorships mm. and stuff like that. So, yeah, and I guess because it's illegal as well in some countries. Yeah, exactly right. But yeah, I think it's, it is very important to be genuine. But of course, it is quite a taboo topic. And it is quite personal, right? It's completely up to you whether or not you do disclose it or not. But I think one thing is like, there's obviously a difference between being asked in person and then being asked online. You know, mm. like if someone's just like some random strangers messaging you through an Instagram DM and it's like, hey, bro, what do you use or something? Or like, you know, what's your cycle or are, are you enhanced? Whatever they're asking you. 
if you don't know this person, it's like, um, excuse me, did I catch your name? <laughs> like you don't have, you don't feel obligated to even respond. Like, you know, sometimes you get random DMs or just saying random crap and you're just like, I'm not going to spend the minutes that I have in my life going through this conversation. So I'm just going to leave that on red. So you don't really have to respond to, especially to random strangers who are just like right up front, just asking you questions, but it might be a little bit different if someone did come up to you in person. Mm. How would you respond to that? Well, I'm not, I'm not enhanced. So, (laughs) or if I was enhanced, if you were, if you were enhanced, you know, and someone came up to you and they're like, Hey man, you know, like, Oh, I'm thinking about going down that route. Like, what do you use? I'm not sure to be honest, Mm. because I, I'm not sure whether I would openly disclose it. And Mm. then also like, I'm assuming the way you think about it, like TRT might be different compared to like openly using a significant exogenous amount of, Mm. of anabolics. Yeah. Yeah. I think that if I were to go down that route, but again, like keeping it quite private or having those discussions just with people that are close to me. Again, if some random person came up to me in the gym and was like, Hey, Hey, what, what are you using? I would literally just say out loud, I would be like, sorry, did I catch your name? Or like, hi, like, so- sorry, who, who are you? And I would probably just say if I was one, I'm not a liar. So I wouldn't just say straight up. No, I don't. If I actually was, I might just say, oh, you know, I just reserve those sort of conversations for just me and my coach and then probably walk away. You're, yeah, it's interesting this scenario you've created on the podcast today. It's yeah. quite serious. It's quite serious, but it's probably a, a scenario that neither you or I will ever be in, just hypothetically mm. on the podcast. Yeah. Yeah. But either way, guys, if someone questions you and you are clearly natural, or maybe not clearly, maybe you do look like you're enhanced, but you are mm. natural, just take it as a compliment. You know, but I think Australians say, don't get your knickers in a twist. Don't make all this commotion. Just say, thanks, but nah, not for me. All right, Jack, this next question, this is a bit more of a nutrition related one. And it says, I feel more satiated after I eat animal protein compared to plant protein. Is this psychological? Mm, I mean, there's most certainly a psychological element to almost anything we do nutritionally. And there's also a few things to consider on a more nutritional science standpoint as well. So for example, like what is the actual meal composition look like? So if I had to pick one or the one over the other, I would have actually picked plant protein sources being more satiating as opposed to animal because often plant protein sources are associated with like increased dietary fiber, uh, a little bit slower to digest as well compared to, plain animal sources but again like what is like you could be having that animal protein source with wholemeal pasta and like 200 grams of vegetables as well and cheese which will all of those things will slow down the digestion of that meal so i think we would need more information to answer this fully yeah i think there's a lot more numbers we need like what's the total amount of protein that you're consuming like are you directly comparing how satiated you feel when you consume 
20 grams from a soy-based product versus 20 grams from a whey-based product, just pure protein and isolation, and you're not having it in the context of a mixed meal. Or, you know, some people might make the argument that, oh, it comes down to the amino acid profile per se. And if you're consuming a plant-based source of protein and then your body recognizes that you're not getting all of your essential amino acids in the right quantities, then it's not going to feel as satiated compared to if you ate an animal-based protein source with more of a complete amino acid profile. I'm, I'm personally not convinced by that because I don't think the body, like once you eat something, like I don't think it can register that within like just a matter of a few minutes or hell, even an hour because digestion is still taking place. Like, how is it like, hmm, you know, like how much lysine is in this meal that I just ate? And does that satisfy my requirements? I think though that I I would be under the impression though that you'd probably feel more satiated by eating an animal source compared to a plant source if it was in the context of a mixed meal. Because one, I think that the total protein content would likely be higher. And we know that protein is the most satiating macronutrient. So if you were to have some lean mints, and let's say you're getting 30 grams of protein from that lean mints, plus you're having the wholemeal pasta, like you said, plus you're having the 200 grams of vegetables and all the cheese, you're probably looking at that meal being in the close to around maybe 50 grams of protein or so. Otherwise, you could actually just take away the lean mince and you'd still have protein in that meal from the vegetables and the wholemeal pasta and even the cheese. And you might add in some sort of plant-based protein, like maybe like some, uh, some soy nuggets or something like that, but it's probably not near going to be equivalent to 50 grams of protein or so. So I think it probably comes down to the total absolute amount of protein that you're having in a meal. And then also if you're having just a pure protein source from an animal based source, and then you're making up the rest of that meal with like a whole grain and vegetables, you're getting a lot more fiber from that too, and probably more calories as well. So all of those things combined, that's probably why you just feel more satiated compared to a plant based source of protein. Mm -hmm. Potentially. Yeah. I mean, I didn't look at any studies on this before we did the podcast. Mm. So I think, I think your appetite before eating the meal is also important. Like, are you actually hungry going into the meal? Mm. And like, it's very difficult to standardize the response because you'd have to be just as hungry before eating each meal. You'd have to have the the same quantity of protein in each meal as well. The same amount of dietary fiber, mm-hmm. etc. So yeah, I think it's it's more speculative than anything. Mm-hmm. So I think what we should probably just be focusing on here is pay attention to your own internal cues and make sure that whatever meals you are consuming, that they are nutritionally adequate and that they do satiate you. And if anecdotally you find that having a meal with some animal-based sources of protein in it compared to just plant-based sources makes you feel better, then maybe go down that route. And obviously still include plants in there somewhere too. Mm. Yeah, the thing with plant sources as well is they're probably more hydrating, which should fill you up. Yeah, and too. plenty of fiber as well. Yeah, there's there's a lot of there's a lot of speculation going on here. Okay, Jack, this next question, it says your best breakfast suggestions for someone who wakes up with no appetite. Hmm. So it depends if the individual is training in the morning. 
because if you wake up with no appetite and but you're not training then you could just wait until you are a little bit more hungry and i'm assuming though it's in reference to being an early morning trainer mm. potentially so i've got a few clients who do struggle with getting food in early in the morning and often they come to me initially not eating anything and, and training fasted. And I usually do convince them that just kind of give them some, some of the information around faster training and as to why that's not particularly conducive to their goals. And it's something that's very easily changed, which can influence your results quite significantly as well. So I, I personally think something like protein water is the easiest thing to digest. Mm. Like, I don't think there's anything really below that that's protein based. Mm. Well, that's even easier to digest than protein water, especially if you just buy it in powdered form and then mix it in like in just like maybe 100 to 200 mils of water. It's literally two sips of water pretty much and you're done. Like, mm. And even if someone doesn't have an appetite in the morning, like you should still always be getting hydrated in mm. the morning. So kill two birds with one stone there. And you can even mix in some carbohydrate powder into that as well. Like ultimately it's in this particular circumstance if, if you're training it's not as much about nutritional quality it's more about mm. getting in protein and ideally some carbohydrates as well to stimulate mps and also ideally like help fuel your training session mm. as well yeah by all means if this was an early morning trainer they're basically having like a pre-workout drink isn't it interesting how you know we will we'll try to navigate if someone's like oh i just don't have an appetite in the morning you'll come up with a whole bunch of strategies for that but if someone's like oh i'm just not thirsty in the morning it's like i don't care you're still gonna get a liter of mm. water in <laughs> it's how fun but, but it's also the like you've given this reference before on the podcast where someone says in a deficit they're they're hungry like mm. just because you're hungry doesn't mean you eat more food mm. it's the same when in this scenario as well like just because you aren't hungry in the morning do you just not eat food prior to training mm. like there's there's uncomfortability on both ends of the spectrum mm -hmm. whether it's feeling satiated or feeling hungry yeah and i think also another thing if you actually wanted to eat something uh and you didn't just want to drink something try to make that thing quite palatable you know like you don't want to just like bite into some sort of stale bagel or just like crack open like a can of tuna with spring water or something just strange like that like make it like have a nice mouth feel per se i think that's why a lot of people like you know soft bread and they like spreads like peanut butter and jam and honey etc like it goes down nicely even if you're not hungry you'll do like if you're a human being you'll probably take a bite of that and you'll be like oh this isn't that bad you know i'll probably often, finish it often the prospect of food is usually worse than the act of eating it mm. because once you do as you said like once you take that first bite of food potentially it will stimulate more of an appetite particularly if it is highly palatable mm. so i think where most people go wrong is that they have one something that they need to eat that's like solid food like they don't think about like a smoothie or as we indicated like protein water or carbohydrate powder and when my appetite has gone to quite a poor level like i at the moment i'm having just cereal um, with like a milk and whey protein and some fruit and then hopefully it doesn't get to this level but if need be i will like i 
towards the end of my last gaining phase, I was blending that meal up just to drink it, which I've said on the podcast before. <laughs> Blended cereal. But it's, it's, I don't think that's too different from someone, you know, people blend oats into their smoothies and mm. stuff. And other people would be like, oh, you're crazy. Why wouldn't you make a bowl of oatmeal? But that's something you, just, you would say. Yeah. That is, yeah, I would probably literally like you are crazy. Why don't you have it, have a bowl of cereal? But you could make that argument that blending cereal is kind of the same as like mm. blending oatmeal into a smoothie. It's just another form of carbs sort of yeah. thing but very few people get to that level that you're on i think granola bars are awesome too like you know they're small they're pretty energy dense like they're easy to eat there's so much variety same with cereal there's so, so much, much variety in them. yeah but if, if it's just like a, a something like a pre-workout meal or you're just simply trying to get your calories in per se it doesn't have to be crazy high in protein like you could wait mm. for that for post-workout yeah, I guess that brings up the question is like pre-workout protein more important or less important than pre-workout carbs? Mm. I think pre-workout carbohydrates are more important than pre-workout protein as long as you're backing mm. it up with a solid protein source after the workout. Mm. I personally think pre-workout protein is more important because you is should be... personal or...? <laughs> no, because you're fasted. Like there's no stimulus for muscle protein synthesis mm. uh, since the evening before. And you should be getting in a decent, hopefully, some carbohydrates the evening before. And we know that acutely, like consuming carbohydrates isn't going to, it's going to potentially impact you more psychologically rather than mm. physiologically. Although there is that recent uh, paper done by one of Eric Helm's students about the, the benefits of intra-workout. But that's intra-workout, not pre-workout. Yeah, so. I think a lot of the literature surrounding like pre-workout nutrition is as long as whatever you're eating does satiate you during the workout and it sustains your energy levels and then you back it up with a really good post-workout meal that has ample amounts of protein, carbohydrates, a bit of dietary fat. It's just a good mixed meal. Mm. I guess sweet. the other thing is like, why not both? Like yeah. both is very achievable. Why not both? That's the same. Well, there's that, there's that little Mexican girl, you know, on the, yeah. on, on the, on the, oh, what old El Paso advertisements, you know? And she's like, Unos dos tres. Or, oh gosh, I don't know what she says, but it's like, why not both? And everyone's like, oh yay! And then, you know, they have tacos and they have burritos. So that's like us, you know? We're like, we're trying to imitate like little Mexican girls over here on the TVD podcast. We're like, why not both? Why not a pre-workout and a post-workout? Or you could go triple, man. You could get those soft tacos. Intra-workout. Yeah. <laughs> Breakfast burrito. There you go. But man, try to get something in. You know what I mean? But mm. just make sure that it is somewhat palatable and just, yeah, you're hitting all your targets, but it should be fine. And we've got a post on TBD about if you scroll down a little bit and yeah, it's about fasting and muscle gain. So mm -hmm. it'll be insightful for anyone who wants to look at it. Absolutely. Yeah. Head over to the TBD Instagram. Now this next question, it says, what are peptides? And this one was actually related to the question we had about how to respond if someone questions whether or not you're natural, because this person got asked whether or not they're taking peptides. And I thought this was a really interesting question, Jack, because what are peptides? If we think back to, you know, like first year uni, if our lecturer was like, what is a peptide? We'd be like, I know. <laughs> but a peptide is simply just a string of amino acids. So we've got 20 amino acids. Some are essential, some are non-essential. So the person was asking, do you take protein? <laughs> Legit, yeah. Would, did you know that we actually all consume 
peptides. Did you know that there's peptides in your body? <gasps> yeah, natty or not, you know, we're all taking peptides. Somehow, I don't think that was the train of thought they were going after, though. Yeah, that's where I'm trying to get to. So, but when people spit out, they're like, you know, like peptides. They're usually talking about anabolic peptides. So again, peptides, it's just a string of amino acids. So you have like your dipeptides, your tripeptides, these strings of amino acids and these chains, they combine to form proteins. And obviously protein, we get protein from the food that we eat, but protein within our body, it helps to form our hair, our skin, our nails. You know, we've got protein in our blood, obviously like the protein that helps to build our skeletal muscle and the smooth muscle and our cardiac muscle protein and peptides everywhere, but anabolic peptides. That's what people are talking about. Usually when they're talking about, okay, well, if you are taking performance enhancing drugs, like, or are you supplementing with peptides? So there's just certain types of peptides and certain types of proteins out there that you can consume or you can inject whatever, whatever tickles you fancy. (laughs) I don't know if putting a needle in you is very ticklish, but I don't know, never done it before other than drawing blood but it just can enhance your performance because it causes signaling cascades in the body that can then increase muscle protein synthesis and increase growth within the body. But Mm. yeah, so those are more anabolic peptides. Yes, but which are different again from anabolic steroids. Yeah, they are different. And that's where the argument comes in. Some people are like, oh, they're safer, you know, because there's not as as many adverse health effects. And they do use certain types of peptides, especially in like medical research and things like that, especially people who are wasting away and they're suffering from catabolism. They well, have, yeah, that's where most drugs originate from is yeah, helping people. Yeah, legit. People who are suffering from like just wilting away in hospital beds and they're losing muscle mass or they're losing bone mineral density. They actually try to create these things to help those old poor people, not people who have their diet and their training sorted, but they just want that extra edge and they want even more muscle mass. Mm, like you. <laughs> just, yeah, just like me. But hey, if anyone ever asks you like, do you take peptides? Be like, sure do. <laughs> so do you. <laughs> but the thing, the thing is about like, you know, t- taking these sort of performance enhancing peptides per se, compared to, you could say, oh, but you know, protein powder, that's a peptide and that enhances muscle growth. Like, okay, yes. Like obviously consuming dietary protein is going to have some downstream effects on increasing muscle growth when obviously if you have an adequate amount of amino acids and you consume a leucine and you provide the stimulus through resistance training but like where do you draw the line you can't argue that protein powder and creatine and eating a steak or eating a chicken breast is equivalent to taking like a synthetically made peptide that's then going to like increase your igf1 that's then going to result in more muscle growth so you you got to draw a line somewhere. Yeah, it's uh, again a topic that we've really fleshed out here today <laughs> on TBD. I've never been in count. I've never someone's never asked me about pe- peptides before. Man, we just we just need to train harder and we just need to get bigger so people can people can start. I need to start wearing us- oversized tees in the gym. That's it. You need to start wearing stringers, and yeah. then people will start asking you the right questions. Mm. Are you enhanced, and do you take peptides? Yeah. <laughs> Oh man. Okay. Well, Jack, how about we end on one question for today? And it says, do you rest between sides for unilateral movements? If so, for how long? Yes, I do. 
I think ultimately we don't want our cardiovascular system to be the limiting factor. So let's say Bulgarian split squat, because I'm sure many people do that movement. If you've just done your right leg, chances are your cardiovascular system is going to be pretty taxed. You're going to be huffing and puffing, or at least I think you should be. And therefore it makes sense to rest for a little bit until your heart rate and your breathing rate has come down and then you can attack the second leg. And yeah, I think that's the main reason because realistically there shouldn't be too much muscular fatigue from on your left leg if you've just done the right leg. Mm. It should mainly be cardiovascular, I think. And even just mental as well, like your CNS. You've just like maybe done a set close to failure on your right leg. Maybe you're mentally just need to take a quick break before you then go and do the other leg. Yeah, I totally agree. Yeah, Bulgarians, whenever like I, I've been working with someone and they'll send me some training footage and like for example, it might be a Bulgarian split squat and they go hard on their first leg and then they still have dumbbells in hands and then they just swap legs over and do their second leg. I'm like, holy cows, like one, very impressed, especially if it's like they're really freaking fighting for it. But also just give the prescription, like, you, please, like, take a minute or two, like, to mm. rest between legs and then go again. Because there's one, literally no down, unless you're resting for like 10 minutes, there's no downside to resting longer. Yeah. Um, other than the time itself. Mm. Whereas there are potential downsides for not resting enough. Mm. Absolutely. Like, Let's quote that. Let's put that on a billboard. <laughs> there's only downsides to not resting enough. I love that. New white post. Maybe. Maybe. You might see it in future. That's excellent. But yeah, that's so true. Especially like if you see someone going hard, you're like, wow, that's already really impressive. Like let's say someone is Bulgarian split squatting like the 30 kilograms plus or something. And they're doing both legs back to back. Be like, wow, you can train like that now doing, you know, like 16 reps total, eight per side back to back. Imagine what you could lift if you actually took a rest in between both. Like we could totally even up the ante even more. And obviously lifting a heavier weight for the same amount of reps, man, that's obviously going to lead to even more growth. So yeah, it's, I, th I would argue take, take your time for big compounds and you don't need to time your rest breaks. Just go when you feel ready again. And like you are, you're like, I can definitely match performance on that second limb. And when you're doing these unilateral movements, everyone usually has a side that's slightly stronger than the other. Like that's totally normal. Like when you were growing up as a kid, like, you know, think about kicking soccer balls or when you're writing, like you're always going to favor one limb. And that's why if you ever have like a DEXA scan or something, it, it will probably come up that one limb has like a few hundred grams more tissue on it than the other, maybe even a little bit more bone mineral density. But anyway, you will notice that one limb is stronger than the other. So always start on your, let's say your weaker side, do as many reps as you can and just match it on the other side. Even if the other side, you could pump out one or two more. I wouldn't encourage doing that because you're probably just going to maybe contribute to some imbalances down the line. But if you can go hard and you can do something, let's say on your left leg, then after a little bit of rest, you should be confident that you can definitely match it on the right. At least I know I am. Are you the same? Yes. Have you ever failed on that second limb? I don't think I've, from memory, I don't think I've ever not matched reps mm. on the same from one limb to the other. Yeah. And maybe if the reason that you because are I rest failing, long enough. yeah, the reason why you might fail is because you just haven't rested long enough, but that's like for a Bulgarian, right? Like that's mm. obviously a big compound movement requires a lot of stability. It's very, very tough. 
But let's say someone's doing a single arm cable lateral raise. They got to take a big ass rest between delts. No, I don't rest in between arms. Yeah. <laughs> so it just depends on the muscle group. Probably mm. like just the more taxing and demanding and systemically fatiguing the exercise, then yeah, take a rest between legs. But if you're training a smaller muscle group and you're not as fatigued, you're trying to really isolate something, then I'd say you can probably just go back to back. Mm. What about your leg extension? Because you do single leg extension. No, I won't rest in between that either. Mm. Like I think unless I just want to rest mentally, I think realistically it's mainly single leg press, Bulgarians. Those are the main ones that I would do where I would need a decent amount of rest in between each mm. leg. You used to do B stance hip thrusts. What about those? Do you remember? Or B stance RDLs? I think you, you, mm. you rest between those because you'd go pretty damn hard on those. Yeah. Yeah. And that's the thing. Sometimes I understand it just, it does take up a bit of time. I know when I'm programming for myself or clients, I'm just conscious of time. Like I'm not going to give someone four or five unilateral movements in one workout because that's just, it's too much time. It's like double the sets, man. So I think if you are writing your own programs or you're writing programs for other people or just thinking about training in general, like timing is very important in that sense. So like when you're structuring things throughout the week, think like, okay, each, each one of these training sessions, yeah, unilateral work is very, very important. And I think Lawrence recently did a reel on this, didn't he? He did. Yeah. Yeah, he did. So here, Lawrence, we totally agree with you, but maybe not for every single exercise, eh? Maybe like one or two unilateral movements per training session just time-wise. Otherwise, it literally is like double the sets. And I would almost argue sometimes that really mentally fatigues people too. It almost stresses them out. They're just like, man, this session's just going on forever. If I could mm. only use both legs. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, that was a the wrap-up of our Q&A for today. But Jack, final question I do have for you. What's something that you learned this week? I can't remember if... Have I mentioned something about iCloud recently? No, you haven't. So, yeah, I, I, I think it's been a while since we've done something we've learned. Actually, no, I mentioned dogs and belly buttons. That was the last thing I mentioned. But I recently got, obviously I've known about this for a long time, but it's just, just kind of reinforced to me how easy it is, considering we literally store everything on our phone, especially for us, like all of my, every client I have is on WhatsApp. So if if I somehow lost all that data, I'd be in big trouble. And I've got my Google calendar as well and all social media. So um, I just decided to purchase like the, I think it's the two terabyte iCloud storage, which backs up automatically. And I'm just really glad I did that now. Like realistically, it's not that expensive, um, especially like if my phone was suddenly gone, I would pay probably an embarrassing amount of money to get all of it back. Mm. Um, and considering now it's all in the clouds, it uh, makes things easier. Up in the clouds. Hey, mm. wasn't there that movie though where you know some bad things happened because they actually uploaded things to iCloud? Wasn't it sex tape? Yeah, it was sex tape. That's right. And they had the sex tape uploaded to iCloud. Mm. I wonder... <laughs> the cloud, not iCloud. Sorry, the cloud. I wonder if like Apple took a hit after that movie was released. You know what I mean? Maybe. Yeah. People are like, oh man, maybe I'm just actually just going to... People I stopped uploading their sex tapes. 
<laughs> no, they stopped using iCloud. I don't think anything in the world would stop people from filming things. But like maybe people just doing the old fashioned thing. Like I know that I have a big like terabyte hard drive. You can't, you can't, you can't back up your phone onto a hard drive. Oh yeah, that's right. Man, mm. Apple's made it so that you can only like use the cloud. Yeah, pretty much. Smart. I mean, you could use your computer, but like the phones these days are the same size as a computer mm. storage. That's true. Mm. So they're sneaky like that. Yeah. Well, the cloud it is then. But yeah, that I, I know that you and I both purchased iCloud at a very similar time. Plus, it just gets annoying because no matter how many gigabytes you have on your phone, especially as an online coach, you're always just like fighting for space because like... Not me. Oh, I do. Like, geez. Why? How many terabytes is yours? Uh, no, mine's, mine's like 250 gigabytes. Yeah, you, you need to get the terabyte phone. Yeah. Is it heavier? <laughs> <laughs> That's a legit question. <laughs> Hold on, we're both... No, this isn't fair. Jack's, Jack's one of those crazy people that walks around with a phone without a case and without a screen cover, and it's never cracked. My, my, my phone is heavier right now because it has, has both of those things, and yeah, it has a heavy case on it. So mine is heavier right now, but that's like, is the, is the extra gigabytes, do they weigh something? They got it, right? Mm, no, <laughs> I don't think so. I'm a dietitian, not a, um, anyone who does anything with technology, eh? Yes. <laughs> so I'm dying to know what you learned this week, Tierra. <laughs> dying? I hope not. You got to stay around for a while. I need you. Um, but what I learned this week is that no matter how prepared you think you are for a show, there's always something that's going to happen just last minute that you just have to just react on the spot and you just have to respond. And last weekend I was at the IFBB Queensland show with uh, two of my girls, um, Veronica and Candace, both in the bikini lineup and everyone's getting lined up to go on stage and the marshals like calling everyone to get in order and things like that. Candace comes up to me with this tiny pair of hairdressing scissors and she's like, Tira, my, my hair extensions, they're too long. Can you please cut them for me? Like they're covering my butt in the back pose. We'd been chilling like for hours that day, you know, sitting in the crowd, having a and good time. And you don't handle time. that sort of stuff well. <laughs> I did handle it very well. Okay. Thank you very much. But I'm just saying like last minute, like Candace is up in like two divisions and she strikes a back pose and like her hair is coming down by quite a few inches on her bikini. We didn't notice this in the weeks before because she had curled her hair extensions the week before. So they were shorter. But this week for IFBB, she did, went dead straight and they were way too long. So I was just like, all right, we got to do what we got to do. So when I was like, at least let's go over to the trash can. So we walked her over and I grabbed her hair and I, I snipped it. I snipped it nice and straight and like it looked good. And I was like, oh, well, pretty proud of myself here. You know, reacting on the spot, trying to stay cool and did calm. Did you do any layering or anything? <laughs> I did actually try to, because when, when I've gone to the hairdresser in the past, like they told me like, never cut hair like dead straight like you have to cut it at like a little angle and do these little wisps um so like i was trying to do that otherwise so it wasn't just like dead straight at the bottom but the the weight main thing is like the hair looked good once i snipped it off right but then <laughs> candace had like this furry butt because obviously when you trim hair you get all the the hair trimmings right the little short hairs and these were dark like dark brown blackish hair extensions. Candace is there with her freaking pro tan on and all of these tiny little hairs just sticking to the top of her glutes. Like it looked, <laughs> no offense Candace, it didn't look good. <laughs> <laughs> 
looks like a bikini girl with like a bit of a like you know a hairy gorilla butt or something i was like oh god no this is even worse i'd rather the hair is covering than showing this so i was trying to so i was trying to brush it off and uh obviously it was sticking to the tan and everything so i had to get the tanners and um they had to help out and they were trying to brush it off and they're like what the flips is this but it all worked out in the end Candace got to get up on stage and do a back shot hairless. So um, thank God, but that's just something that I learned. So yeah, I guess that's just, <laughs> just triple check everything well before you finally go on stage. And especially if you have hair extensions, make sure that you get yourself into a back pose, arch the hell out of your lower back and make sure that those hair extensions are not going over the bikini line. Because if they are, then you need to snip those things or you need to put the hair extensions in higher or something. But yeah, I'm just very grateful Candace didn't get on stage with a, a hairy pair of glutes. <laughs> it's not the right category. <laughs> no, I, no, no bodybuilding category is right for that. <laughs> the only the only category they like really want hair in, I guess, or hair other than on your head would be, you know, like obviously the classic physique dudes now are doing a little bit of a mustache. Mm. But yeah, no hair on the glutes. Like like bodybuilders say like you know they prepare themselves to be what hairless cats yeah yeah is it a siamese cat i'm not sure not cats aren't my specialty yeah but just those ones that i don't know why they exist but the ones that just don't have hair and they just look really grumpy about it Mm. i've never seen one of those things smile just snarl they're probably just cold yeah they're probably just cold and grumpy okay guys well anyway that was our podcast for today thank you very much for tuning in if you did enjoy it please remember to take a screenshot post it to your instagram stories tag jack tag myself tag tbd and we'll catch you in the next one